Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome to Forum. Chez Panisse turned 50 last month, and today we're looking at the incredible legacy of Alice Waters Berkeley Institution. Chez Panisse has not only been a destination restaurant for decades, but its alumni network and ideology, if that's not too strong a word, have influenced every corner of the culinary world. But is it possible, as Chef Daniel Patterson suggested 15 years ago, to love Chez Panisse too much? Will there be another Bay Area food revolution? We'll talk with Alice Waters and several members of her merry band. But first, we'll talk with KQED's Lily Jamali about the potentials and pitfalls of lawyering up in the aftermath of a wildfire. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Most of the 70,000 survivors of wildfires sparked by PG&E equipment between 2015 and 2018 have yet to see any of the promised $13.5 billion settlement with utility. Now attorneys in a burgeoning wildfire litigation arena are working fast to hang their shingles in towns like Quincy and Susanville, places where wildfire evacuees trapped in motels or staying with friends are trying to figure out their next steps. The lawyers promise big settlements out of PG&E, but many families who once turned to these same lawyers after losing homes and loved ones to earlier wildfires still don't have homes to go to and are warning recent wildfire survivors to beware of unkept promises from the legal profession. If you're a wildfire survivor, what's your reaction to this? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Joining us to explain what's going on is KQED's Lily Jamali. Welcome. Thank you, Alexis. So tell us how we got to this point where there is so little trust in the legal profession among wildfire survivors. Well, um, you know, I want to begin by just saying I, uh, I'm not here to paint the entire profession with one broad brush. There is a lot of variation among lawyers. But having said that, um, you know, a lot of these fire survivors, 70,000 of them who lost homes and businesses and loved ones from 2015 to 2018 in fires caused by PG&E, they have had a really rough time. You know, some of them have been waiting for money from this settlement for up to six years now. So it was promised to be $13.5 billion, as you laid out there, but it's far less than that today. The trustee in charge has made very clear 
It's worth $10.5 billion right now, so far short of what was promised by their lawyers. And, um, you know, we do have another cash infusion of a few hundred million dollars coming in January, but it's very clear that these victims will never be made whole. All of this stems back from that settlement, uh, which is you know, in this very unusual situation where half of it was funded with cash, but PG&E funded half of it with stock mm. of its own company. And so as we sit here and talk, these fire survivors own 24% of PG&E. It's an outcome nobody saw coming. So tell us what you and NPR's California Newsroom revealed this past spring about sort of who is getting paid and the overhead and lawyer fees uh, relationship to the Fire Victims Trust. Yeah, I mean, the investigation that we did in May, uh, we looked at the extraordinary administrative fees and expenses being charged by the Fire Victim Trust, as it is now known. Um, we, you know, tracked um, with not a lot of help, by the way, <laughs> from the administrators. Uh, basically, they did not want to talk to us for this story. We have a little bit more of an open line of communication now, thankfully. But, you know, the top person there, the trustee, is making $125,000 a month. You have a a lot of lawyers and other administrators making north of $1,000 an hour. And when fire survivors look at this, they are outraged. Um, they are extremely frustrated because so many of them are stuck in trailers and are on the edge of homelessness in some cases. And um, it's just an extraordinary amount of money. Uh, overall, we know that they've taken in about you know $100 million plus so far, and there's no end in sight. So when a, what's the actual setup here? Like when a wildfire survivor wants to retain a lawyer, are they directly paying them or is the lawyer just going to get the money from a future settlement? Like how, how does that all work? Yeah, so when um, most of these lawyers uh, sign people up, as they're doing right now, you know, with all kinds of gimmicks, by the way, whether it's free gas giveaways or free food and they're, you know, making sure that folks see the legal contracts in the, you know, in the corner next to the barbecued chicken. Um, these contracts generally have a contingency aspect to them. So the deal is, you know, we, we think PG&E may have caused the Dixie fire. We're going to go after PG&E. That's our target. And so these lawyers basically make a deal where they'll get 25 sometimes to 33%. It really depends on the lawyer. Some are more, some are less. Um, and so that's the deal is you sign up with them. And, you know, the lawyers, um, one of the things that's so interesting about the Dixie fire and the approach there, in addition to just how much this wildfire litigation industry has flourished, um, you know, it's it, it's a lot less quaint than it used to be just a couple years ago. There's a huge digital marketing apparatus involved and all kinds of things that we didn't see that back then. Um, but, you know, basically it's all about um, amassing the most clients as quickly as possible. With that, these attorneys get more leverage, which can be good for fire victims. But on the other hand, um, it's also kind of some of these fire victims are wondering whether that's really in, more in the interests of the attorneys than in the interests of the clients. So it's sort of a scramble to amass the largest, num like the, the most yeah. weight and gravity uh, of, of wildfire victims. Um, is there somebody at the, you know, the state of California or the bar who's, who's supposed to protect people from um, the the less ethical lawyers? Well, you know, the Plumas County District Attorney has gotten involved, uh, David Hollister, who has watched as this 
cadre of attorneys has descended on his community. We've counted at least two dozen law firms, many of whom were involved in one way or another, some more than others, in crafting this last bankruptcy settlement that came out of uh, the PG&E bankruptcy last year, uh, which, again, by most accounts has not gone very well for fire survivors. And he has uh, been, been working with the state bar, pulling language uh, from their website and elsewhere to basically tell people that there is no rush, uh, that you got to be careful because when you're sort of not in the right state of mind to make a big decision, it's better to just wait until you're ready to do the homework and ready to research people uh, before you sign a contract. I want to add Will from Santa Rosa into our conversation. Welcome to the show, Will. Uh, hi. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. What's your question? Um, so I've been very concerned about uh, the recent reporting that's come out from KQED regarding some attorneys receiving $400 million um, in PG&E investor-backed financing. Um, it, these same attorneys sort of moved us away from an all-cash $13.5 billion offer to this stock position that has really put um, us in a bind and is serving to shield other investors who happen to be the same investors that provided this funding to these attorneys. And I'm just wondering in the same vein why there aren't officials stepping in to investigate these issues, to understand the depth of these conflicts of interest so that victims can receive just settlements and so that future victims are treated more fairly. And Will, is this something you've been directly affected by? Yeah, I've been directly affected by it. Um, you know, I lost my home in 2017. Um, I'm really um, relying on uh, the funds coming in through this PG&E settlement to rebuild my home. Uh, my neighbors are relying on these funds. Uh, we were um, uh, sold a $13.5 billion offer uh, by these attorneys who advertised heavily that this was a $13.5 billion offer. And now we're finding that our stock is being used to shield uh, the investments of other PG&E investors um, by way of our attorneys. And, and the fact that our attorneys received money from PG&E shareholders yet are not disclosing those conflicts is really uh, detrimental for our justice and for our payments associated with these damages. And um, these aren't just damages to homes. These are damages to lives. There's a, a number of survivors who are waiting in trailers, who are living hand to mouth, waiting for these funds. And uh, we need to understand what the structural problems were that led to this. Thanks so much, Will. Lily Jamali, can you explain a little bit about this? Like when we heard Will talk about mm -hmm. lawyers taking uh, even hundreds of millions of dollars or, or having access to finance from uh, PG&E investors that, that is with these huge dollar amounts. Like, what does that mean and what do we know about that particular hmm. configuration? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, thank you to Will for calling in. He has done a lot, uh, as have a number of other fire survivors, to unearth a lot of what happened here. Um, what he's referring to is there is one particular attorney who's not alone in taking this kind of funding, but Michael Watts, uh, who is based in Texas, I think he might actually be 
based in Puerto Rico now. But anyway, his firm, Watts Guerra, is a firm that has actually hired Aaron Brockovich as a paid spokesperson. So you see her face on a lot of their ads. And on one of these, uh, there was a town hall meeting at the Quincy Public Library a couple of weeks ago. Um, and at that meeting, uh, for the first time, we heard him say that he had accepted what was $400 million, a colossal amount of money, from some of these Wall Street interests. And last year, folks, some folks might remember, we broke a story that that same attorney, Michael Watts, had, um, had admitted to taking what we didn't know the amount at the time, an undisclosed amount of money from some of the same hedge funds, some of the same major investment firms on Wall Street, whose interests were directly at odds with the interests of his clients, of these, in, in his case, 16,000 fire victims. But really, you know, if he's in the room negotiating this deal, it affects much more, many more people, 70,000 people, all told. So we had this, you know, really stunning revelation, which is in our most recent investigation, our most recent KQED NPR California newsroom investigation, where we lay out what he said. And um, we did try to interview him. We actually had an interview scheduled. And I think the technical term is that he ghosted us. <laughs> he did not pick <laughs> up the phone. And um, and we have a lot of questions because, yes, we know it's a $400 million number, according to him. But, but what are like the terms? it's like a line of credit, right? It's a it's, line of credit. Yeah. But what, well, what are the terms of that line of credit? Mm -hmm. Does he get a really killer interest rate on it? Does he have to even pay it back? We don't know. These are questions mm -hmm. that people really want answered right now. So our last few seconds, what's the, what are the next steps here for wildfire survivors? You know, I think that what I have been so heartened to see is this, uh, this movement among past fire survivors reaching out to this new group that is going through it now. They know the trauma. They know what it's like. And I think the more people have the, those support networks, whether it's through social media or through friends and family, I think that's a great place to start. Ask for help. Ask for advice. Um, and if you're not sure about an attorney, you can call uh, the California State Bar or you know, consult with people who have got already gone through it. They might have some advice for you. We've been talking with Lily Jamali, co-host of KQED's The California Report for three years. Lily has covered PG&E's role in wildfire and its bankruptcy, and she's spoken with hundreds of wildfire victims. Thank you for your work, and thank you for joining us today, Lily. When we get back from the break, we'll be talking Chez Panisse with Alice Waters. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have got 
gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.